On this episode, I interviewed Clinton Hoare, who is the head of athletic performance for the Wallaroos. Clinton has an extensive experience working in team sport, including formerly working as the head of performance with the Gold Coast Titans. So the main topic today was speed in team sport. We talked about his overall stance and view on speed within team sport, how he designs and integrates an annual program, how he structures his blocks, what a general session would look like, his main focuses on drills and errors he corrects, the differences he uses between the positional groups, how he utilizes the gym as well as the field to make the speed program work, and then making sure to not only look at the speed program in itself, but how to utilize the coaching staff to integrate to drills, as well as making sure to look at the full program as one. So, great episode. Here it is. Welcome to No Weak Links with Patrick Wood. The purpose of this podcast is to help you learn up-to-date, evidence-based content and knowledge through life experiences. This podcast is perfect for athletes, strength and conditioning coaches, rehab professionals, or anyone in the sports performance or sports medicine industry. So please, have a listen, and I hope you enjoy. Welcome to No Week Links. I'm your host, Patrick Wood, and today I have on Clinton Hoare, who is currently the head of athletic performance for the Wallaroos. So thank you very much for taking the time to be on, Clint. Uh, if you first just want to give a little bit of overview on your background, where you've been, how you've got to where you are, uh, and then we can dive into some of our topics today. Really appreciate being on, Patrick. It's just, um, yeah, I know you're over the other side of the world doing this. I've listened to your podcast. Uh, when you asked me to jump, jump on, and I just want to, I always like a little bit of background and made some really interesting topics, some real cutting-edge content, and um, I'm always very, very happy to, to do things like this um, to just uh, maybe give some insight to my background, but also the S&C industry professionally, semi-professionally, and even at an amateur level. But uh, background for me, 25 years plus in professional sport and semi-professional, um, and, and been involved in numerous roles, heads of department, down to lead S&C roles, and, and working in speed, um, specific work around team sports and then also individual sports, um, having been hired uh, as a consultant across uh, cycling, um, athletics or running and then also obviously now just doing a little bit of work with Swimming Australia with some of the swimmers there. And it's a multifaceted sort of industry but um, experience, but make my bread and butter and my passion and, and, and I guess my strength, I believe, is around team sport, contact sport and rugby and rugby league, yeah. Yeah, good. And you've had time with the Titans and a couple other clubs too. So um, you'll have a little bit more on that and we can dive in. Yeah, look, I, I was very fortunate to start in my industry with the Canterbury Bulldogs at their peak at the Dogs of War and um, had great mentors. And, and the late Steve Folks, who was the coach, but also was a strength and conditioning coach, a guy called Billy Johnson. Those who are from Australia and involved in, in, in sport here would know Billy's uh, methodology. Um, it wasn't go hard or go home, but he had that approach around discipline and a bit certainly was around, um, I guess, innovative training practices. But certainly you knew when you did a session with Billy that you were going to be finding a dark place, bring your thoughts with you. Uh, but then I was introduced to a, a great operator and we weren't close at that time. It's um, a guy called Scott Campbell and Scotty Campbell and I ended up um, both assisting each other with the Samoan Rugby League team in, in, in two World Cups, four nations, Pacific Test matches, and he became a great mentor and a dear friend. And, yeah, so he's been, he's, you know, I've, I've been, been around the traps and had great mentors, and I think that's important for young coaches out there as well as 
those who've got a little bit of water under the bridge and grey hair like me. But um, my involvement with you know, Canberra Raiders Reserve Grey, uh, Shoot Shield in, in the uh, rugby union here, uh, the, the division below the New South Wales Waratahs feeding into the Australian rugby system. And then, of course, um, all different pathway programs. So experience, as you said, uh, last couple of years with Gold Coast Titans, heading up the department and um, all the medical team there, the doctor, working coincide with them around uh, improving, I guess, engagement, availability, and then performance within a, a physical performance program. Yeah, perfect. A bunch of experience and knowledge there. So it'll be good to talk about a topic today, which is speed within team sports, obviously a hot topic right now as well. So I guess first starting off, just a general overview, your stance and view on speed within team sport. Uh, obviously there's track ways to coach. Obviously track is a completely different sport, integrating that, how to do that best, using principles, figuring out how to integrate that into such a complex system of team sport. So yeah, what's just a very general overview and then we can dive into more of the nitty gritty after that. You know, I think you've hit the nail on the head straight away. Look, it, it, it's not an individual you know, sprint effort. It's not a, I'm going to prepare to run a 100-meter final or a 100-meter event or 200-meter event. Um, it's certainly, there's all different areas around speed qualities in, in team sport. And, you know, with team sport, speed comes from an open sort of chaos, uh, chaotic environment, very dynamic, and normally follows... Uh, an acceleration or from a, a rolling start or a, a static position and dynamically taking off. And, you know, there's, there's a sense of, I guess, early doors when I first came into the industry, we were training our team um, athletes, our players, like sprinters. But, you know, now with, I guess, technology and with the knowledge around game demands, um, we've been able to look at, okay, you know, how much, uh, sprinting does a, an actual player do and, and you know, how many times do they touch into their um, 90% maximum velocity or, or, or more or, or sit at 75% and above in, in a game. And so we, we've been able to look at that and then and, and start and design programs and periodised programs within our year around you know, speed for team um, sports. And we're, I'm going to talk more around rugby league and rugby union today, but certainly we're going to look at, okay, there's agility, there's change of direction, there's first step, um, I guess, power, I call it, first step acceleration. And then there's, you know, I guess we get our, what we say, our, um, our maximum velocity or maximum sprint speed. So there's a lot of stuff that we're working on. We just can't focus on the one in a team sport. When it comes down to, I guess, athletics, you're really focused on one event. And if you're fortunate, you might do the two, the 100 and 200. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, figuring – starting or designing an annual annual program there. So I guess starting from the biggest portions, then we can kind of size down as we go along, um, as you were designing a, a general program. What what are you looking at annually first? What are the big things, big blocks or big focuses you want to integrate through the preseason into season? And, and how does all that look? Yeah, I think for any coach out there, it's been smart around how you do program and, and, and I guess even working with uh, young athletes, you know, I've trained some young guys today up in the park and they're all at that 13, 14, 15 age uh, bracket. But yeah, you want to go to look at, okay, they're playing team sports, what's required? So are they playing hockey? Are they playing, um, you know, soccer? Are they playing rugby league, rugby union? What is the sport they're actually playing? And then looking at that. So I'll talk in the rugby league, but what I look at it, I go, okay, what's the data showing? What's the actual uh, 
research shows, and Tim Gabbard's got a lot of work on that, Patrick, in regards to you know, how much is a uh, middle forward doing, how much is an outside back doing. And I think I wrote some numbers down here today, and basically what you're looking at is, you know, predominantly your, your, your speed or your sprint effort is between 0 and 10 metres for a forward. It's very seldom that they get up to 20 metres in a sprint effort. Um, you look at your outside backs, they're looking around that 30-metre mark if they actually make a break, a 30-metre sprint effort, and that's the about 67.5% of that of their, uh, is, is, is what they call in that 30-metre range. So when I come to, to I guess, periodized program, I start at the very, I guess, the very bottom. I, I break it back down every pre-season. I think the off-season, when we're not with a team, allows the professional athlete to work with practitioners like yourself, like yourself, the hire, and we can break down their mechanics, look at efficiency, look at gait, all that sort of stuff, and then start to build, I guess, those little building blocks, knowing that they're going to go back into a team environment where that that certainly doesn't really get looked at. It might be dosed in the week, but certainly don't get, don't get a lot of time around that stuff. But when it comes to being in a, in a team environment and you're designing for a pre-season program, I certainly, I, I, things I've written down here, I teach shape, I look at positions, I look at your postures, look at your foot patterns first and foremost, and then you start to drill them, I guess. You're drilling them. And then we start to give them, I guess, the, the earned right to run fast. Um, always when I design and I encourage any young S&C out there, if you're designing a speed program, start small and build into the length of your rep. So look at those 0 to 10 metres, 0 to 20 metres, building that first step acceleration stuff, um, and then you start to build it out. Now, I've always done this, whether it was trial or error from a get-go, mate, or it was um, something I read early doors. I've never trained a, a team athlete for 100-metre sprinting. I've always looked at 60 metres as the max distance, and I've done things like flying 30, so building over 30 and accelerating and, and getting that max velocity between 30 and 60 for outside backs. But certainly in my um, edge back rowers and halves, I looked at between 40 and 50 metres maximum, and then in my forwards, it's anywhere between 0 and 40. I never really go... Um, over that 40 metres when I'm designing a program, especially for the forward. But, um, yeah, so I guess a pre-season block for me, I, I look at, okay, positional specific stuff. So, yes, always going to do the 0 to 10. I think that's bread and butter. That first step set us up for top-end speed or evasion down the track. But certainly then look at anywhere between 30 metres, 40 metres, 50 metres and 60 metres. And that's exposure over a period of time. It's not happening in the first session. Um, and I guess then, yeah, I just as I said before, follow that short to long principle, build in the long, longer reps. Um, and then hopefully by, you know, pre-season block two, you've got these guys, you know, really efficient in their, in their stride. Uh, their mechanics are strong. Their postures are really nice and solid. And then you can start to, invite them into that you know, capacity around that 90% mark. And I'm a big believer in, in pre-season that you're you're focusing on, uh, if you're an outside back, uh, trying to get them three doses of greater than 90%. And I actually, um, Jacob Stain, a great, uh, pretty good S&C out here working in the school system, had a really good formula. Um, and it's pretty similar to what I use. I've, just, I've written that down. It's, you're basically every seven days, I'm trying to get a 90% uh, 
max velocity exposure. That's for every athlete. And then your outside back, of course, they're doing a lot more top-end speed stuff. You want to get them greater than 95%. And I try and do that every sort of two weeks, every 14 days within the program. And then all players, within a 28-day period, I'll try and tip into that 95%. Hopefully in season, they get in the game. So you're not chasing it. But certainly in pre-season, um, you know, you want to try and expose your athlete to that or your team athlete to that, those numbers. I hope that um, answers a little bit of that. With a question on, on that with your blocks to that first block before you start running them fast, how long roughly do you like to go and, and work on all the other stuff and build up that before trying to expose them to some higher speeds? Yeah, look, probably by week three, I'm moving towards that 90% mark. So the first week, 75% max velocity. Of course, you've got the ability to know uh, from last year's data, especially if you've been working with the athletes for a couple of years, um, about 75% of the max velocity. Then you get to about 85% by week two, week three. Then by week three, week four, you want to be trying to expose them to 90% hit. And you really got to have a real strong relationship and a knowledge of your athlete and, and, and understand what they may have been doing or what they haven't been doing in their off-season. Um, and even though they're professional, don't assume that they've actually been doing work with practitioners like yourself and hiring them privately, you know. Um, some of them like to get the barley in Thailand and Fiji and, and just do nothing. Yeah. Uh, you, mentioned, you mentioned focusing on shapes and, and different drilling and focusing on getting all that right. What are some main things you're looking for within that, some cues you like to do, or biggest errors you see um, athletes performing that you want to try and clean up and, and before season starts or before they run faster? Yeah, certainly. I, th- I think for me, a lot, a lot of it's around that drilling stuff. So I'm, I'm a big believer on you know, all your A skips, your A marches, uh, getting your hip locks right. So everything, I actually, I, I break it right down to just, getting the shape and holding the shape for three seconds, getting the pause in that A position. Um, certainly then look at like trying to do dribbles from, you know, the work over the ankles to over the calf to over the knee and just making sure they're getting that, I guess, that piston type movement. But trying to get them nice and springy, maybe pull at the hips. So I don't try and over-coach or over-emphasize uh, the shapes and positions because they can start to lose what they've sort of built over I guess, 20 years of, of running, and they aren't Olympic sprinters. They are footballers or soccer players or AFL players. So certainly, like, um, you know, for example, here's a little prep program that I um, created for a couple of edge back rowers. And, you know, we looked at the A-March series. Uh, we're looking with, you know, hands on hips, hands on head, arms crossed the body. Then we look at the wall drill where we're reaching and driving. So just looking at patting where we're just basically against the wall and we're trying to accelerate, drive the knee up, drive it back down underneath, I guess, the centre of mass. Um, looking at dribbles there, I just said there, um, your dribble bleed, then building that into the ankle calf and then do a full over the knee. And then I'll just present our first step quickness, looking at our first steps and looking how we project, I guess, horizontal projection, how our hips driving forward, how our knees and arms, are they driving together? Are we strong and assertive, pushing the ground away? So it's just giving them coaching cues and just revisiting, I guess, what they may have built on the previous preseason and that in-season where you've dosed it throughout your um, in-season programming. I think, yeah, with, with that, though, you mentioned building on that 
just as you would with lifting, um, obviously, I guess at the professional level, it's different. But if you have athletes that aren't as used to how you've done it, if they are new signing for the new year and haven't been with you previously, how do you go about individualizing to an extent? You know, you might have athletes coming in that aren't at the level that the ones you worked with the previous year are at. So how do you still try and build off the previous year, but also address the ones that need a little bit more work? How do, how do you try to do that in a group setting? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, that's a real, I guess that's the, um, I guess the golden uh, egg, isn't it? Trying to individualize a program in a group setting, in a collective setting. And if you can find that formula, formula perfect fit, then uh, please pass it my way. But certainly, there's a coach's eye to it. And I think sometimes we look at data, we look at numbers, we chase rabbits down rabbit holes too much. We've just got to get our coach's eyes in. We're at strength and conditioning coaches. So I guess the first two or so sessions, you're getting a, a, a real good look at how a, an individual athlete moves. Now, in a professional setting, you've got video, you've got the, the access of huddle, you've got the access of sports data that you can look at. And, you know, if you really are into your sport, you, you, you're watching these athletes, you're reviewing these athletes, how they move, um, and then you might pick up one or two things um, in some of the technique or the uh, mechanics that you can just give them some individual stuff onto the side. Um, or there might be subgroups that they go into. Um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of, for me, a lot of the big thing with footballers, especially rugby union players, I'm finding is the hips. The hips are so blocked, you know, so, um, I guess, tight. Um, and so you're trying to work on you know, how much range, how much mobility you've got in that hip, and a lot of that comes from that. A lot of a lot of guys and girls that can't, even, you know, bring their knee towards their chest. Not that you want to get there in top flight, but they they really struggle to get it, you know, basically parallel with the floor, knee in line with the hip crest. It's it's interesting because of that muscle bulk. Yeah, I th- I th- with um, building off that, even you mentioned talk, kind of the main focus in how you structure blocks within preseason, some of the drills you would do. What obviously again, these are all going to be different. But how long is a general session? Do you have a, like a general session template that you would go by, and um, just to outline how that would fit within training, or you know, considerations you'd go where you'd put that within training, where you'd put that within a week in that preseason block? Yeah, I think um, I can't remember the research. I'll, I'll look for it and shoot it your way. But the, the, the greatest improvement since sprint performance has been after following training at interventions that have been combined so a mixed method training approach so i always expose sprinting with plyometrics i guess uh exercises and strength training you're going to use the gym as much as you can you know using both heavy loads and i guess moderate loads at, at, at high movement velocity so there's there's a com- combination of that going on in pre-season but in terms of on the field you know again i was just let let, let the snc's know in, in the you know, junior academy level and at the um, semi-professional level, professionals don't get to spend 60 minutes doing speed. You might find in a pre-season program, you're getting a 30-minute block maximum. So you've really got to be smart with your time and look at what the big rocks are that you want to focus on for that particular block, that particular training week, that particular training session. Um, And that's where your warm-up comes in very handy, especially in-season around performance and using speed qualities within your warm-up session. But, um, yeah, so you never get to do a standalone speed session. If you always – well, <clears throat> pre-season block one, you're either doing it um, yeah, for 20 minutes straight 
and then you go to the coach. They'll go over to the coaches and do some type of um, specific training drill, or more sided game, or or skill drill, whatever it is. But you're certainly not getting a full hour with them or forty five minutes. That would be ideal, wouldn't it? Yeah, hundred percent. Um, with with that though too, especially when you when you're going in preseason, you have it's it's not a lot of time, but it also is a lot of time in the aspect of how do you try and keep <clears throat> the engagements of the players because you know they, they a lot of times are there and they want to play rugby and that's what they want to do. Are there certain things you do particular to try and help that engagement to help the focus? Because if you're just going through drills to go through drills, obviously you're not that's not the that's not the point of them. So to to try and keep them mentally sharp through all that while still getting the benefit how do you go about that yeah i think the big thing is to look at what you know i, I you look at guys um like joseph coin over here in australia you've got uh speed work now becoming quite prominent with their training within england and now here in australia as well in terms of um, different sports but you, you've got to look at what this what the sport is and um so i try and design my speed program around the movement patterns or the drills that we can encompass within a training session and they can get some exposure. So, for example, example my little fellow's yelling out. Hang on one second, mate. Um, what I'll look at is I'll go at specific targets, so specific drills, uh, for example, outside back, putting a scoop drill in, um, it, middle forward, doing a wide drill, and they come up a little bit of footwork at the line, get around and accelerate and get the top speed. So it's trying to mimic game movement patterns and that sort of stimulates the athlete a little bit more than just doing straight line running. Um, certainly uh, from my OBs, I've got a lot of curvilinear work, a lot of you know, attacking the ball, like kick receipt and then and, and playing off the back of that. Um, but use your coaches, even in a academy level or junior rugby league level, use your coaches. Get drills in there that you know will expose your athlete, your player, to some type of you know, greater than eighty-five percent or ninety percent of speed. And we've 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 got drills that you can use, you know, attack versus defensive drills. But um, certainly on um, the scramble D drill, you'll get some ninety percent exposure at the Gold Coast Titans. We'd throw a, a scramble defensive drill in, and pretty much all your OBs would get over ninety percent in that in that um, that drill alone. Yeah, I, th- I like uh, how you put it together with the different, you know, starting out, focusing on a certain thing, drilling it, making it more rugby specific, and then putting in a drill. Could you go maybe through an example of a certain uh, skill or part of sprinting or change of direction that you like or are trying to work on drills you like to do that, integrating it into a little bit more rugby specific and then into a full drills? Or is there an example you could maybe chat through about how you oh, go through that? Oh, yeah, certainly. So I think you in, in your warm-up, you warm up at the end that, that if you look following Ian Jeffrey's ramp protocol, so you're almost priming at the end for the next activity. So a lot of times, um, you know, for example, there's a rugby league drill called the red man or, you know, you basically got um, the red figures that are standing in front of you and, and your forwards are running lines and hitting holes and, and, you know, they're going to the line and punching them through the hole and accelerating through so at the end of my warm-up, preparing for that, I'll get them doing the movement pattern very similar to that without those red men there or any um, defensive uh, players there. And so I'll just start to look at how they move and they, they jump to the outside and they'll cut back against the grain. And that'll be at the back end of a warm-up and just, just a bit of change of direction. And that just preps them to go in. Another one we used uh, just recently, uh, the back end of uh, my work at the Titans, we had a, had a drill there where um, – 
basically looking at line speed and you, you've got one team attacking, one team defending, and it's open chaos. There's two or three balls in, in there. So you've basically got the attacking team coming at the line, the defending team comes off the try line, they rush up, they've got to get to the 10-metre line. So they're accelerating hard, and then your attackers are coming off the 20, and they're going to try and get to the 10-metre line. And you're trying to get as many balls through the zone as you can, and there's agility component and there's an acceleration skipping out or cutting back in, and it, then you create that chaos. But leading into that, you've got to have some type of controlled sort of environment before they move into that. So they always put that on the back end of a, uh, a warm-up. I hope that answers your question, mate. Yeah, no, it definitely does. I think that, that shows a good progression of it from that broken down bits into into skills. And obviously chatting to the coach is very important with that and trying to get on the same page and, and pair that together. So I think those are, those are good, um, good advice there with, you mentioned initially the di- you have differences. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to another great, just simple one to do. And again, with young kids, you can do it. You've got the hit shield, right? We always punch them through the hit shield part of our pre-game warm-up, some team um, in, in club land, you, you have that type of specific drill where, you know, you're, you're tipping them under the, the hit shield, the hit pad. Well, use as a speed drill. Right, get them to go through the hit pad instead of then just try and find the front, and get a quick playable. Get them to hit through the hit shield, so the bit of contact there. They have to readjust their footwork, keep driving their legs, leg speed through the hit shields, and then accelerate over a given target 10, 20, 30 meters. But they've made the break, they've got through, and that becomes game simulation. Like, yeah, for sure. With with uh. The, you mentioned initially the forwards versus backs having differences in how they play, obviously, so you, you do different things within them. What are you want to expand, expand a little bit more on that? How does their training differ within that preseason and um, whether that's different tasks you do for them or different um, ways to hit max speed within that? Yeah, I guess for me, mate, it, it, it comes down to the, the distance so rarely will I have my edge back rowers will, will, will punch out a 40 metre and, you know, you're getting the, the max velocity in one of those, those reps. Um, but certainly any outside back is going across 60 metres. Um, again, I don't do any longer than that. Um, you know, there's no, I guess, yeah, as I said early on, there's no real research behind that. and It's just something I've stuck with and it's worked well for me. I use speed training to mitigate hamstring injury. I don't buy into the Nordics and the hip thrust. That, that's a, a complement to what you're doing on the field. And I'm very proud of the limit or the um, small amount of hamstring injuries, touch wood, I've had in my professional career as a, as a practitioner in strength and conditioning. And I believe that's because I expose my player, expose my athlete to a good vaccine of, you know, um, 90 plus maximum sprint speed yeah with i was trying to get even more testing numbers on those do you have do you like you said flying 30s is one you like to use for outside backs um is there certain ones you like to use differences with between the two so forwards are you looking at shorter bits of flying 20s or flying 10s or what you know how are you trying to get max speed in them yeah, so with the flying in season, certainly use my flying twenties and flying tens. So you know, build over ten and then really accelerate hard that ten moves for the boards. The backs would be a flying twenty. But in saying that, I have collectively done on a uh, G minus three 
So gain minus three. I would collectively use the guys. We do a bit of footwork, nice little mechanics. Then we move into opening up. We'll do a little bit of evasion, um, evade the, the goal post, and then open up between a 10-metre marker, three metres. That and collectively they would do it, and they're all going to get a dose of that required number, and that, that may be 90% that day or 85% that day. But certainly um, they will all then collectively do it. doesn't matter if you're a halfback, a winger, a hooker. I'll just try and expose them to that that, um, that element of speed for that day or that that week. Sorry. Yeah, I think the, I think I said a good transition of we've we've covered that decent amount of the preseason time. So moving into into season, how how does this change? Obviously, times probably go down. You're not you potentially might not hit speed as much, or maybe you do. Or they obviously have a base built of technique, they have a base built of volume. So. How does does it change much for you, or how does it change, and what are you looking to try to achieve within the main part of the season? Yeah, I think you know, I touched a little bit on it earlier on. Some some research by Oakley and all um, in twenty eighteen. I think they talked about you know team field sport athletes should have an exposure of six to ten bouts of sort of sprinting per week. Now. <laughs> That's, that's a fair, fair crack in season, isn't it? So they're saying that it's going to be completed above 95%. So I don't sort of buy into that, but certainly, you know, you've got to look at what's the athlete's capacity, what's their injury history, you know, where are they currently in terms of all elements of the training, so the game stress, um, you know, what, what are they navigating at the moment? So, but I will go back to what I said earlier. I'm a big believer in giving them a two doses, one at training, and one within the game. If they don't get it within the game, I'll give you an example. There's a, there's a forward that works at the Titans with Moaki Fodawaka. Prior to my time coming to the Titans, I looked at his two-year history. Within a game, he'd never got above 90% of uh, max velocity. Now, in the two years I was there, um, in 2021, he certainly hit it in five games. He actually set a PB of his 100% max within two games of that year. And then last year, in 2022, again, he was exposed. Whether or not that was because um, he was able to make um, clear space and, and, and open that up. Whether or not he was exposed to training and felt more confident, or there was just a, an element of adaptation that occurred, and it was, he was just one example. So um, it's important that in season you're still getting them a dose, as I said, as a vaccine, as that's a term, just to mitigate, help mitigate uh, hamstring um, injury. Yeah, so I, pretty, I, I pretty simple. I was going to say, then you look at, you've got to look at the volume of that as well. You don't want, obviously, you're going to do more volume work pre-season and certainly going to drop that volume of exposure in-season. Um, and, again, it, it, it's it's in context. You've got to look in the numbers. I mean, numbers are numbers, but in a game, any given game, you might find the whole 13 starting players um, get, a, get in the 90% of max velocity, but it's 40 mil scoreline against it because they've been chasing all day. <laughs> Yeah, fair enough. No, I think um, that that that's a that's a good summary of that, and uh, you know, just decreasing volume. I guess still the main thing is to try and decrease that risk of hamstring injury while still trying to make technical improvements. But obviously, just marrying that with everything else and the game demands is a little bit different. Uh, with you mentioned the GPS metrics and of looking at that player. Obviously, you have. Every club probably is it slightly different. Yeah, you know, you have high speed meters, very high speed meters, or you know, above seventy percent. You know, what are what are the ones you're looking at 
other than just, you know, above 90 and above 95 and max speed? Are there any other things you're looking at either within the day, within the week or within the game that you're trying to make sense of and use the information for the next week and further on? I think with high speed distance running or high speed running, you can do that all day. You, you know, you look, you talk to bloody uh, marathon runners, ten thousand meter runners, fight that they'll run that high speed distance every day of the week. So that's not going to put too much risk on an athlete. Um, I'd always look to try and get you know ten percent of your certain sessions. You will call your fast session. Ten percent of your sessions could be um, if it was a if it was, if it was a thousand meter session, you should get a hundred meters of high speed distance. If you did, 6,000, you should be trying to get 600 metres of high-speed distance, yeah, depending on what that session is. But um, you've got to look at that 75%. Once you tip over 75%, then you're probably increasing the risk associated with injury, soft tissue injury. So you've got to make sure you're, 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 um, you're keeping an eye on that load, especially the acute load. You don't want to spike that. Certainly in the past, you know, when you spike that very high-speed distance stuff and you spike the acceleration and deceleration density, then you might find that you've got a you burnt too many matches early in the week, and you've got to sort of like almost go into a protective mode for the rest of the session throughout the marine week. But there's certain players that can handle it. They've just got the, the muscle fiber, the muscle architecture. They've got their training aid to handle it. And there's others who you've really got to be careful with that. And you really some sometimes I look at yeah you know, certainly around the training aids around that. Um, just, just on all that, you know, you talked about a new athlete coming into your, to your environment, into your training program. And they're the ones, they're the outliers. You've got to keep an eye on because often if you do expose them and they haven't adapted to that training uh, methodology of the FNC or the training uh, stimulus that the, that, that, that the other players have, they are probably more prone to get a, a pick up a little injury. So you've just got to make sure you bleed them into the program and um, – I think um, most clubs that I've worked with do that really well. Yeah, it's a good point of someone coming in and then, yeah, that obviously they'd be at a high risk if they haven't done something similar. And you, and you also don't know a lot of time where they've been, what they've done. So being careful and smart on that's important. With with the 75%, do you have a, obviously specific to rugby league, et cetera, what you've done, do you have a general number throughout the week that you're trying to keep them under meters-wise? Or is it, again, just a, okay, they've done – more than previous or they've done a decent amount more than the squad and you're trying to look at that um in a in a in a peak sort of week of pre-season three three times game load uh, you know maybe look at that um or again they're all different depending on the positions they so just can't give them one collective number um certainly look at what they've they've produced over last year's game um i think game data is king but again we can get caught up in the numbers as well uh just don't spike them. I think it's a really important thing. Don't just you know, get them into a program and spike it and overcook them early. Because as I said before, you're just going to then have to try and pull back a little bit. You probably, I think one of my physios I worked with a couple of years ago spoke about if you if you expose too much 75% and above, um, overcook them, overburn them early, um, you certainly got to, I think he used to talk around 14 days, you know, uh, more susceptible to getting a soft tissue injury. So you've got to be really important that you, you focus around not burning them that. Yeah, and again, that probably goes back, that goes back to the plan and the you talked about at the start and making all that to make sure that doesn't happen. But uh, we've, we, you know, we've talked a decent amount about speed there. Uh, sorry, you say something there? Bit, bit of, yeah, it's a bit of a hard one. See, we didn't, you know, you work with the coach there at Leeds and 
you know, I was just thinking this today, you know, Craig Bellamy, um, yeah, Melbourne Storm playing the Titans this weekend. But I'm sure your coach is always correct, by the way. <laughs> You're talking with your coach, but, you know, you might have planned this week, week three of the season, and you might have a 20-minute a um, dose of speed somewhere within the week, um, and they, they got, you know, they got their basically their asses handed to them on the weekend. Now, Craig's going to come in Monday and say, we're throwing this out. This is what our focus areas are. But all of a sudden, you're going to try out to find an exposure of speed somewhere in your warm-up because he's not worried about um, Big Nelson getting a dose of 90% or, or you know, Munster's not playing. You know what I'm saying. So you've got to be open to what the coaches are requiring in their week. And as a good S&C does, you also, you know, make sure you go back and forth with your coach, tell them the importance around getting those exposures. But certainly in the end, mate, he's, you know, the coach, or they're going to get the what they need in the end. Yeah, I guess maybe not sticking straight to your plan, but obviously constructing a plan and adapting, adapting when needed for sure. Um, uh, we, as you mentioned, though, we, t- we talked to you some about, about speed and you did talk about kind of pairing that with change of direction, et cetera. Uh, do you have key things you're looking for within that aspect as well of change of direction, things that you're trying to focus on, similar probably progressions of working on that specific thing and, and progressing that into drills? Yeah, I guess for me, it's, yeah, when you're working laterally and change of direction, how do you absorb force? And, you know, you, we talk about um, absorption, learning how to get the right positions on changing direction with great um, company out there called Pitch Ready at the moment doing work on ACLs, uh, rehabilitation, and, and they, they're just teaching absorption of force, you know, the deceleration, learning how to decelerate before you accelerate. That's really important for me. Uh, but certainly, you know, I don't play, um, I don't pay too much homage to really going down to the nitty gritty of, uh, of teaching mechanics of change of direction. I certainly get them into games. I think games, we're taking games out of kids' sport, you know, just the playing, and that teaches spatial awareness. It teaches how to get foot patterning, looking up, scanning, you know, all that cool stuff that was taken out by specifically doing speed programs or conditioning programs or, or strength in the gym. And I think we've got to get back to more game-based scenarios with our play with children, but certainly in a professional setting, I'm looking at, yeah, just progressing that. You know, so we might work with a little bit of hurdle work, low hurdles, high hurdles, look at um, foot patterning work and then start to get more, you know, um, um, 2v1, uh, 2v3, um Ball in hand, looking at you know um, M drills, W drills, they're all just different you know, change of direction drills, and then getting rid of the markers and getting some uh, open chaos stuff with you know cueing and audio or visual or, or bodies in motion and stuff. So yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Especially at that level, it's you know they've learned it a lot themselves already, and it's just trying to you know put the cherry on top. What uh what drills or things you try to incorporate within drills to try and achieve? certain aspects or make it harder or make it uh, more beneficial for the, the change direction slash agility components? Well, I think it comes down to different um, variables, so changing dimensions of field, dimension of court, uh, changing the numbers of players within a drill if you're doing a lot of work with the ball in hand, um, opening up um, space then, you've got more acceleration, uh, more curved linear work when it's a little bit wider and open. Um, so you can just play around, I guess, with those variables, but certainly just changing the drill. Um, there's, there's agility 
and change the direction of defence. And so you can have a defence-focused drill or you can go into attack-focused agility slash change of direction drill. I, I prefer to move into that agility concept because, you know, you're starting to work on decision-making, one under fatigue, but you're processing information and you're having to put an answer to it and hopefully it's the correct answer. You're actually um, reacting correctly. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point too of attack versus defense and having the two differences of making decisions. It's obviously a completely different thing, uh, reacting to someone in, in different ways. So, uh, and you also mentioned, you know, curvilinear running as well there. Do you, do you do that much within a specific more taking it out of the change direction agility space and then more of the speed space? Do you do ever, do you do curved runs or anything like that as well, other than just straight line speed or is that something or how do you utilize that? Yeah, I've always used curve uh, running I, before it was dubbed curve linear running. It's funny, I've always used it. Um, one, because I was exposed to it when I was playing, to tell you the truth. I used to run um, when, when we used to train. I did some speed training and we used to um, do it off just off the, the 200 meter bend. You know, the, so you, you just work mm. at the bends. Um, and my coach back then wasn't. Um, really analysing the games. Well, I don't think he was anyway. <laughs> um, but he could see that the benefit and the ability to a different, I guess, stimulus to the hamstrings, a different inside foot running, outside foot. And I remember him talking about So I've always used it with my athletes, especially the AFL athletes, because they do a huge arc run and accelerating their speeds getting quicker on those arcs as well. But Certainly would use it with my fullbacks and my wingers and, and my centres to agree. But I do a lot of S work as well. Open S work into tighter S work state stuff just to get them moving, um, you know, pivoting and, and moving to the hips, leaning, accelerating out of the lean so forth. You think of Val Holmes, the work he does, how he just moves those hips. There's not even really any dynamic footwork. He has got it. A lot of that move work with his hips is just beautiful to watch. Yeah, so again, making it specific to the, the position and trying to utilize it in injury mitigation risk and just giving them some another form of movement to try to expose expose themselves to there. Um, with You mentioned earlier as well, uh, marrying that speed with the gym and trying to utilize that. Do you have main focuses there that you're trying to do, pairing the gym work with that or, again, things you're trying to avoid or things you're trying to incorporate in, and get the most out of uh, the gym as well as speed work? Uh, I guess for me, you know, you're looking at what can help with speed, vertical, horizontally, lateral, rotational sort of plyometric work, I guess, at the direction continuum. So, again, I, you know, if you're looking at I'm big on eccentric absorption. First, I'm learning how to absorb, so, you know, your taller, short landing, your altitude landing stuff, so, um, low amplitude plyometric work, jumps, pogos. But then you jump all the way into that, you know, Things like concentric development, so you sit the box jump, sit the jump, um, and then if I just, you excuse the pun, I just jump all the way to head, you know, get to the, you get the end of the preseason, you've got shock methods going, so eccentric overloads, uphill jumping. Um, I don't do stair jump, I think it's too risky, and clipping yourself and coming down. But then you, you know, you've got continuous jumps like you know, hurdle bounds, um, ice skating, broad jump, continuous broad jump. Things like that will have big, big bang for your buck for your speed development as well, I believe. Yeah, so a lot of that plyometric stuff and, and focusing on that and pairing that with with your speed work there. Well, I, the key is if you do it in the gym, don't do it out in the field. 
And there's a lot of people that do double dip. Um, and then, again, vice versa. If you're done in the field, make sure you communicate. If you're just training, you're the trainer, then you understand. But make sure if you're working in a professional setting, semi-professional, you're communicating with, um, yeah, one, your strength coach, power coach, but two, the physios. But then also, if you've got a kick catch coach, comes in a catch coach, you know, um, that's where I got burned early on uh, with one of my teams. We would do speed. And I'd have a low amplitude sort of plyometric work. Then we'd do speed work. And by the end of the pre-season, or probably pre-season block, we'd got into hurdle bounds and, and, and broad jumps. But then all of a sudden, the backs were going into kick-catch practice. So they're doing numerous you know, vertical jumps, one-legged, double-legged. So you go, wow, we've actually double-dipped. We're going to cook these athletes. So just making yeah, sure you're communicating everybody yeah for sure the making sure everyone's on the same page there it's important um with uh one last question here i wanted to ask you too uh you mentioned at the beginning you know the the advances in technology and some of the differences that you've experienced throughout your your full your entire career would you say there's a great amount of difference in in speed work or is it recycled things or or what are the biggest changes that you've seen or the biggest things you've changed in your approach throughout your years of training these athletes for speed? I think probably the biggest learning curve for me as as a coach has been the individualization as much as you can in a collective setting. I think we used to lump everybody with the same speed program Um, and even teams were doing it up to half a decade ago. Uh, and we've realised now, with especially the growth of our industry and the growth of self-proclaimed speed coaches and you know, personal trainers who have may then you know, seen the trend grow that everyone's doing speed work or, or plyometric work or jumps in the gym, but not really knowing why they do it and where it fits into a program. But there's a real, uh, you know, and I give a personal testimony to this. I just did a lot of work with, you know, high-end athletes, but then I'd get a lot of parents ring me and say, can we start training with you? I've got a son that's, you know, um, loves rugby or rugby league, loves his AFL. And they'll come down, and I've, and I've broken it right down to what I said, the very basics of, I guess, mechanics and um, working on, I guess, positions and shapes. And then all of a sudden, you know, dad or mum will say, oh, why aren't they doing what the NRL guys are doing? And, and, and that's... <laughs> that's the problem of Instagram posting certain things because all of a sudden they think that's where little Johnny should be, where what Big Jimmy's doing. But really, um, we've got to look at okay, there is a real requirement of SNCs to have the welfare of our athletes, the long term athlete development of our athletes. So we've got to hold back sometimes with our junior athlete and teach them the basic. We don't do enough of that. And you said, are we just rehashing things? Um, uh, is that what I've found? Well, yeah, because in in the 70s and, and, and 80s, fire match was all the rage. Netball work was all the rage. It worked. <laughs> and that's, you know, it's like flares in the 70s. They'll come back again, mate. Don't you worry. Um, so there are certain things that we should still be using and utilising and methods of training that we should use, but there's also a real requirement to be innovative as well, and that's where I think you know, looking at your speed-specific drills, uh, specific to the sport you've got, um, the sport you're playing and the athletes involved in, that's probably where I think the gains have come. Technology, you've got stuff, you know, harnesses, you've got the ability to track speed within sessions, live 
feedback. So you do know straight away acutely what your athletes hit, if they are boxing or they're not. Um, and I think that's a motivation too within a session. Certainly the athletes I've worked with in the past, they want to know their numbers. They want to know that they've hit the target they've been set for that day, especially if they've got that innate drive, that determination to be the best and, and perform at their best every session. Yeah, perfect. No, I think now you have a good good summary overall of, of in-season structure, um, pre-season structure, going into the how you look at and think about training the technique of it as well as GPS metrics and, um, you know, working as a team and integrating that all together. So is there is there anything else of, of uh, main points or main things you want to say before, before I wrap it up here? Yeah, look, mate, I guess if, if anything, if you talk to any of my athletes, I'll always say to them, to be fast, you have to run fast. You have to get speed in your program. Speed is king. It's a cliche, but it is king. You look at the athletes that are excelling. I just love watching Reese Walsh round two for the Broncos. Huge difference. And the space that he's creating outside because of the acceleration off the mark, his ability to beat the man, it just creates time. Um, so for me, if you want to be fast, yes, you have to have certain genetics that will help, but you certainly can train to reach your capacity. So run fast. Don't let anyone prevent you from running fast thinking, oh, you're going to get a soft tissue injury. It will help you mitigate soft tissue. Um, you know, I'm very proud just recently the top – the last two years at the Gold Coast Times, we had the second least amount of soft tissue injury across the NRL. We had the least amount of hamstring injuries across the NRL. So, um, yeah, was it good luck? Yeah, was it um, great management of the program? Was it because we exposed them to his speed doses throughout the whole periodized program? We don't know. But let's put ourselves in a position that we do prevent it. Perfect. Thank you very much, Clint, for taking the time to be on. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Sorry. One more last thing. Um, where uh, where can people follow or follow you or see what you're doing? Um, I know you're doing some stuff on the Gold Coast as well. If you want to put um, let let us know uh, that I can put in the show notes for you. Yeah. Look. Pretty simple. I might am on Instagram if they want to contact me. I've got. Uh, a personal account which people try and get onto, but it, you're probably better off getting onto Clinton with a K, Clinton Hall PC Performance Coaching. Um, that's the Instagram tag. Um, you can get me on the email performance.coach at bigpond.com. I'm more than open and willing to get back to young SNC and any uh, those with grey hair like me who want to just have some banter and, and talk shop. But certainly when I started out, Patrick, it was really hard to break through to those in the, in the industry that, um, you know, I probably had one or two that would return calls within uh, within a week, but often the, my phone would never get a message back. And so I'm really open to the email. Um, you know, I will endeavour to get back to you within the week. No, yeah, thanks again. I think it's a, I think it's great to see coaches like that reach out to younger people. And like I said, I saw you speak at the QRL and, and giving back to the industry. So, yeah, appreciate appreciate all you do for us. Thanks, Patrick. Appreciate it, mate. Awesome. Thank you for listening to No Week Links. If you enjoyed the show and could leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it would be greatly appreciated. If you're interested in any other content I put out, you can follow me on Instagram at Coach Patrick Wood or Twitter at Coach Patty Wood. Thanks again for listening.